Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Okay, all my little math friends out there. Have you ever tried? Just grab your phone, grab your calculator, pull up your calculator, and try to divide 6.27 trillion by 365. So I've got my iPhone in front of me, uh, 6.27 trillion. You're like, how many zeros is that? 6.27000000. Oh, it just stopped. I can't go past 627 million on my iPhone calculator. How, how helpful. Uh, maybe I'll turn it sideways. Let me turn it sideways. Let's see if that matters. Six two seven zero 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 zero. It stops me at millions. I go sideways. Can I keep going? Zeros. Oh, I can. Ooh, a little trick, everybody. Turn your iPhone sideways. You can do really big numbers. Six hundred. So I need to do six point two seven trillion. So how many zeros would that be? Uh, two uh, hundred hundred thousand million billion. I need to keep going. Uh, 627, one, two, three, isn't this ridiculous? 627, 6.27 trillion divided by, uh, 365 days in the year equals, and then you get the little E thing, right? It's $17.1 billion per day. So in fiscal year 2022, that's what the federal government spent, $6.27 trillion, which is $17.1 billion a day. But because of Bidenomics, uh, between October 1st of 2022 and October 1st of this year, uh, pretty close. We're, we're going to be pretty close to nailing $6.0 trillion, so we'll be down uh, $0.27 trillion, which is, what is that, $270 billion? I can't even figure it out. So $6 trillion in the last fiscal year, October 1st last year to October 1st this year, spending about $500 billion a month. And uh, so that's $16.4 billion per day. That's what the federal government's spending right now. Okay, so just keep that in mind. That last fiscal year, October last year to October 1 this year, uh, $16.4 billion per day. So tonight we have the uh, second Republican primary debate. And uh, that's going to be uh, Doug Burgum, who shouldn't even be there. Uh, Chris Christie, who shouldn't even be there. Ron DeSantis, who should be there. Uh, Nikki Haley, who should be there. Uh, Mike Pence, mm, probably not. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, should be there. That's three. Senator Tim Scott should be there. That's four. So it should be four as opposed to seven. Okay, so they're, they're going to be debating tonight, the Republican primary debate. And uh, three of those people shouldn't even be on the stage. And that's why I noticed this article which we're going to spend two segments talking about this uh, big red nightmare that we're in uh, because nobody there is going to be talking about it. The Republican debate elephant that won't be in the room tonight. This is written by Jason Chavitz, who used to be in the House. Hint, it's not Trump. The most pressing problem in America right now is the one no one wants to talk about. As Republican candidates, minus former President Donald Trump, line up to debate Wednesday night. They may be asked about the ballooning national debt and the resulting drag in the economy. They may that nibble at the edges, but the real truth is ugly, painful, and unpopular. Candidates understand that the American people want the debt burden reduced, but we don't want to hear the truth or what it would take to actually do it. How will the candidates on the debate stage Wednesday night straddle the line in a world where they're being asked both to solve the problem and to garner votes and to do it in less than 90 seconds? It will be the most difficult needle to thread. 
Since we hit the $33 trillion debt threshold, we are adding over $800 million an hour in new debt in an hour. So from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time today in the Steve Noble Show, we'll add $800 million to the national debt. We're accumulating more than $2 billion a day in interest on that debt. And thanks to the most recent debt ceiling bill, there will be no cap on that debt until January 2025. There is no greater threat to our future freedom and prosperity. Can anything be done to slow this runaway train of inflationary government debt? Democrats unsuccessfully try to argue the Trump tax cuts drove up the deficit. In reality, the tax cuts helped grow the economy and revenue to the Treasury was on an all-time high. Here's the dirty little part of that. Unfortunately, they were not accompanied by spending cuts. To solve the problem, the easiest part is fixing the federal budget process. And make no, mis make no mistake, uh, Jason Chavitz writes, there is nothing easy about that, but fixing that process would go a long way towards taming the part of the spending pie chart controlled by Congress. A new heritage study found only 10% of the $7.5 in COVID spending actually paid for health care. <laughs> wow. That means Congress is charging 90% in overhead and who knows what else. A serious presidential candidate will offer up, a real, will offer up real solutions to the problem. In truth, the discretionary budget, the expenditures controlled annually by Congress, which includes all debt interest payments and defense spending, is less than 25% of overall expenditures and shrinking. The real driver of federal deficits is mandatory program programmatic spending. These are the expenditures Congress doesn't address on an annual basis. They happen whether or not Congress acts. The mandatory prog programmatic expenditures are popular transfer payments, including, you know these, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, student loans, and Obamacare, and countless other programs you've never heard about from Congress. They are perpetual and don't get voted on annually. Any presidential candidate who dares touch the third rail of politics risks everything. There's a reason Trump won't touch it. In all the constituent and lobbyist meetings I've ever taken, this is uh, Chavitz writing this, I can count on one hand the number of times an ordinary constituent was there to lobby me to cut or reform these programs, and they are our country's biggest drivers of our challenges. There is no constituency for doing the hard things that will actually solve the problem or at least put us on a trajectory to a more sound fiscal policy. I've found most people believe, uh, believe we can solve our debt problems by tinkering with spending that, that they don't like. Congressional salaries, foreign aid, or the ubiquitous waste, fraud, and abuse come up frequently, and they should. But the truth is, it is the mandatory programmatic spending that needs reform to save the very programs so many want and need. For the candidates on the debate stage and the one currently in the lead to get the Republican nomination, the biggest elephant in the room is who has the guts and leadership to do unpopular things necessary to get our fiscal future back to reality. As for the Democrats, don't expect them to ever address responsible spending. It's simply not in their DNA. Uh, correct. But it does not appear to be in the DNA, at least the serious DNA, of any Republican either. They nibble around at the edges. They suggest things. We've got to do something about our out-of-control debt and what it's doing to inflation. Okay, but what are you going to do? Well, we're going to cut $300 billion there and $400 billion there. We're going to cut six, uh, $620 billion in the next 10 years, which is $62 billion a year, which is about, at our current spending levels, about mm, four days. Four days worth of spending. Is that serious to you? Whether Trump says it, DeSantis says it, whoever says it. That's not serious. That's a joke. It's a joke, and they're laughing in your face because they cannot seriously talk about what it would take to actually get this under control. They're not going to do it. Because it's going to cost them way too many votes. Because you're going to cut off all that government funding that about 40% of Americans enjoy at one level or another. And so they don't touch it. They just dump it on the next generation and the next generation. Your kids, my kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids. 
totally slammed. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'm going to keep talking about it when we come back. We live. Golly, Steve, you're so depressing. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's just the truth. Sorry. <laughs> kind of need to know the truth. And uh, to adjust how you approach politics and tonight, uh, that was based on the Jason Chavitz article in Fox News. I just posted those links on Rumble and Facebook Live. The Republican debate elephant that won't be in the room tonight. It's not Trump. It's the debt. It's the debt. Okay. It's the national debt. So there's jumps me over to this article, which I also shared a link for. U.S. National Debt Tracker, see how much the government obligations cost. U.S. National Debt, we know that exceeded $33 trillion for the first time ever. On Monday, uh, Treasury Department, by comparison, just four decades ago, the national debt hovered around $907 billion. $907 billion versus $33 trillion. The unrelenting increase in what prompted Fitch ratings to issue a surprise downgrade of the nation's long-term credit score in early August is all this mess. The agency cut the U.S. debt by one notch, snatching away its pristine AAA rating in exchange for a AA plus grade. In making the decision, Fitch cited alarm over the country's deteriorating finances. Well, yeah, of course. Quote, this is a warning shot across the U.S. government's bow that it needs to right its fiscal ship. Sean Snaith, an economist at the University of Central Florida, told Fox Business, you can't just spend trillions of dollars more than you have in revenue every year and expect no ill consequences. Well, you can in the short term. Come on, bro. Sean, what are you thinking? The outlook for the federal debt level is bleak, with the economists increasingly sounding the alarm over the torrid pace of spending by Congress and the White House, uh, which would include Trump and the Republicans. Okay, They're all insanely guilty here. The latest findings from the Congressional Budget Office indicate that the national debt will nearly double in size over the next three decades. So in 30 years, we're going to go from 33 trillion to 63 trillion, 66 trillion, sorry. At the end of 2022, the national debt grew to about 97% of gross domestic product. Under current law, that figure is expected to skyrocket to 181% at the end of 2053, a debt burden that will far exceed any previous level. Should that debt materialize, and trust me, it will, go look up unfunded liabilities. It could risk America's economic standing in the world. That already does. The spike in the national debt comes after a burst of spending by President Biden and Democratic lawmakers. As of September 2022, Biden had already approved roughly $4.8 trillion in borrowing, including $1.85 trillion for a COVID relief measure dubbed the American Rescue Plan, and $370 billion for the bipartisan infrastructure bill, yada, yada. While that's about half of the $7.5 trillion that former President Donald Trump added to the deficit while he was in office, see... It's far more than the $2.5 trillion Trump had approved at the same point during his term. So for, for all you hardcore Trump supporters, don't cut him one inch of slack on this topic. Not an inch. None of them deserve that. None of them. Even more worrisome is that the spike in interest rates over the past year and a half has made the cost of servicing the national debt more expensive. This is because as interest rates rise, the federal government's borrowing cost on its debt will also increase. Okay, remember that. Payments are expected to triple from nearly $475 billion in fiscal year 2022 to a stunning $1.4 trillion in 2032, 10 years from now. By 2053, get this, the interest payments are projected to surge to $5.4 trillion per year in interest. And $5.4 trillion is about what we're spending right now in a whole year on everything, federal government-wise. To put that into perspective, that will be more than the U.S. spends on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and all other mandatory and discretionary spending programs. We're clearly on an unsustainable fiscal path, McGinnis said. We need to do better. <laughs> Talk about an, over, uh, an, an overwhelming understatement. 
So last year we spent at a pace of $17.1 billion a day. Uh, this year, f- fiscal year, oct- October 1 of last year to October this year. Uh, hey, man, we really tightened the belt. We're only spending $16.4 billion a day. The federal government. Okay. So when they talk about these cuts, we're going to spend, we're going to cut blah, 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 blah over the next 10 years. Just remember that number, just 16 billion a day, 16 billion a day, 16 billion a day. That's a great way to, to tell whether they're actually being serious or they're just toying with you or flat out manipulating you. Okay. So I did this earlier in the spring and just decided to play around with this. And then we're going to talk to David Fisher for the second half of the show because he's been unavailable the last two weeks. So we have a little catching up to do and, and more uh, troubling news, which, again, hopefully just makes you put all the more hope in the future that Christ has secured for us and his eventual return. That's where your ultimate hope is. It ain't in the U.S. of A. All right, let's go after the oil. Drill, baby, drill, right? Uh, let's go after all of it. Let's drill it all. Drill, baby, drill. Let's just pull out all the stops, man. Let's drill all the oil out of the ground in the continental U.S., and then let's go get all the oil offshore that we can legally. The total of all that is estimated to be 264 billion barrels of oil that that the U.S.A. can access, 264 billion barrels. Okay, just use a market price of $86 a barrel. That's that's a big number, right? We're going to sell 264 billion barrels of oil. That's all of it. 100% 100% of what we're estimated to have, all of it, at 86 bucks a barrel, and I did this back in the spring, that comes up, this is a big check, $21,120,000,000,000, trillion. So we, we pull all the oil out of the ground, as much as exists in U.S. soil and offshore. We sell it all. We raise $21.1 We put that t- towards our national debt, and now we're down to... Uh, basically 12 trillion. Okay. Great job. Except of course, we're going to be buying oil from everybody else for the rest of our lives. Uh, so <laughs> that's going to be worse. Anyway, I think you understand my point. So we're not quite there. We need to come up with another $12 trillion in value. Uh, how about natural gas? Drill, baby, drill. Let's stay on that. Uh, it's estimated that we have 473 trillion cubic feet of natural gas that America can access. Uh, we use about 30 trillion a year, by the way, 30 trillion cubic feet. So 473 trillion cubic feet that's out there. Uh, let's go dig it all up. Let's go frack and whatever, get it all. And that's currently selling at about uh, $6.80 per thousand cubic feet. So you sell all of that, 473 trillion cubic feet, and you're going to raise about $2.8 trillion. Good job. Pull all that natural gas out, $2.8 trillion. And that leaves you with uh, roughly what? We were at about $12 trillion left, so we take 2.8 out. We'll round it up to $3 trillion. And so let's just say we, we still have $9 trillion in debt. We pulled out all the oil and all the natural gas, sold it all. We still have $9 trillion in debt. Okay. Uh, what, else can we, what else do we have to sell? It's a garage sale. What else can we sell? Uh, how about this? The federal government currently owns 640 million acres of land. 640 million. I put that in my iPhone calculator. Didn't have to turn it sideways. 640 million acres. Uh, what do we have to sell it at to raise the other 9 trillion? This is where it gets troublesome. So I'm going to go to Google on this. 9 trillion divided by 640 million. Isn't that funny? Uh, okay. 
9 trillion divided by 640. That didn't do it right. Divided by 640. It just did 640. Got to add some more zeros, friends. Zero, 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 zero. Oh, there we go. Okay. So if we put all federal land up for sale, 640 million acres, we need to raise $9 trillion. Then we sell every single acre of federal land for $14,062.50 per acre. So who's buying? Who do you think is going to start buying land, American land, federal land at $14,000 per acre? China, maybe? Will they buy it all? 640 million acres? That's $9 trillion. Even China can't afford that. Oh, Vance on Facebook Live. Of course, you're not deducting the cost of removing the material out of the ground, (laughs) which only makes it worse. And who's going to talk about this tonight at the debate? Nobody, because they're all cowards when it comes to that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Great to be with you and great to have our good friend David Fisher back in the house. Landmark, CapitalLandmarkGold.com. And uh, David hasn't been able to join us on the show for a couple of weeks, but he's back and better than ever. David, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back and looking forward to talking about some things that actually shocked me this week as I was studying. So, <laughs> I thought I yeah, heard that, it all, but that, I didn't. <laughs> that's not making me feel good. But then I just spent the first half of the show going through all the ramifications of our federal debt and what's coming in the future. And that oh, wow. uh, there was an article I started with, David, that was uh, mm-hmm. written by Jason Chavitz, who used to be in Congress. He's at Fox now. He said, the Republican debate elephant that won't be in the room Wednesday night. Hint, it's not Trump. And he was talking about the $33 trillion in debt and climbing and that the fact that it's going to double. And then, you know, it's not going to take long for us to be able to our interest uh, payments. uh, The interest on the debt will be exactly what it is that we're spending for a whole year right now. So I've I've spent 30 minutes doing bad news. So uh, that's why your passage of scripture here is so timely, as always. God God just being kind because I just spent 30 minutes depressing everybody. And we're going to start with Proverbs 12.25. Thank you, Lord, for this. So we'll go ahead and start there. Yeah, so I had a little bit of anxiety as I was reading. So it says in verse 25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. So obviously, whatever you focus on, your power goes and it becomes, you obsessed with it. And I'd want to be obsessed with Scripture. Let's not let anxiety, it's okay to embrace the news, but not let it shut us down, but kind words do cheer us up. You know, there's a, I have one of my representatives here that, I don't know exactly where he's at with the Lord, but he'd said something to me about three weeks ago that, uh, quite frankly, shocked me. And he said he's worked for other companies before, not gold companies, but in the corporate world. And he says, and this, I have to set aside my personal um, testimony, if you want to call it that. But he says, I, I love how you interact with people on the phone, people in meetings, and people who work for you. I've seen just the opposite. And he says, the number one thing that has impacted me the most that you've ever said, and we talked about gold and silver and markets and economics, this is what shocked me. He said, you've challenged me to once again believe that prayer really does work. Mm, man. 
and I thought, wow, because I could say a lot about a lot of different things. Yeah. We could talk about all these kind of economic things, yep. but the root of the matter is something I said to him that I didn't realize. He's yeah. having, he was having some challenges, and I prayed for him. Uh, and, you know, you just don't do that in the corporate world, but, but my, in my corporate world, that's what we do. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and uh, that's more important than anything else. And I didn't realize the impact it had on his life. And here, you know, just a while later, he shared with me, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like re- renewed his faith, or maybe brought him closer to Christ, or maybe he's made yeah. that decision. But uh, let's all be people who are yes. the salt and light of the earth and be that voice to Amen. the people you, that yeah, need to hear it. Yeah, because you just sprinkle it in there, not even thinking about it or thinking too deeply about it. And then every once in a while, the Lord will pull back the curtain and show you what he's doing with it. And that's a, that's a perfect example. We all need to be, and that's just loving people where they're at, David. This is not, Hey, can I pray for you? I mean, those are really powerful words. And they say, well, you know, maybe later, or how can I pray for you? And, and, and you'd love to do it right then and there. But even if you don't, when you ask somebody, how can I pray for you? That that's kindness. You're showing them that you care you want to take some of your time and invest it in something you believe in, in this case, prayer. And uh, that's just such a great story and a great reminder for all of us. Even in the little things, God can do great things. So we need to remember that. Thanks for sharing that story, David. Um, okay, so the commercial real estate problem that's out there, uh, I know there's an update on that. And this is like one of these bubbles that's getting ready to burst. But uh, what's the update on the, the problem with commercial real estate? Yeah, so we talked about this. This was the problem that brought the three largest banks down in the history of our country earlier this year. And I said, it's not done, and now I have an update. <clears throat> about $2.5 trillion of debt maturities are going to roll over in the next five years. In other words, the commercial real estate, if, if somebody owns a commercial real estate property, typically they're about 50% vacant. So they're not getting all the full rent. They can't right. pay all the mortgage payments. They're upside down. They're delaying this. And they're wanting to renegotiate the loan. And these maturities, these are term uh, lo- mortgage payments or term t- uh, timelines. So in the next five years, a lot of them are coming to term, and they need to be rewritten, the loan, $2.5 trillion worth. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that we're not in a – quarter of a percent interest environment we're at a five and a quarter percent interest environment the banks are carrying this note they don't want to write this lower than what they have to borrow the money from and the company that owns the building that's paying the mortgage to the bank doesn't want to pay a four or five percent interest rate they can't pay it at two and a half right so this is a big dilemma and as a result of that kyle bass which he is a hedge fund manager he successfully predicted the 2008 massive problem in the financial subprime mortgage debacle, and he moved his money and made 212% in one year by assessing what was going on in real estate. He said recently, on September 12th, that he's seeing a quarter of a trillion dollars of collapse coming in the office space of commercial mortgages. Morgan Stanley defines it in a percentage, it says there's going to be a 40% wipeout. And he's saying, they are saying, at the end of the day, somebody has to carry this note, or we have a massive just default on real estate, and that's what triggered this whole 2008 problem 
We're not out of the woods. In fact, I think we're getting really close to going into that environment again yeah. within the next five years and probably closer to two than five. Yeah, that that that's shocking. And again, this is one of those things that most people don't want to talk about it. They're, 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 some of these things are just so massive. They're like, yeah, uh, you know, just live for today. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And and that's the problem. People don't have the truth. And for us as Christians, back to your point about prayer, you need to be able to pray about these things. And say, okay, Lord, we've got a financial nightmare here. Just give people wisdom. Whoever's involved with this stuff, please give them wisdom because there's a lot of people that are going to be hurt by this. Government shutdown, that's a big deal. That's looming this week. Uh, September 30th is coming up. Uh, not looking so hot. So what's the chance of that, and, and how should we look at this? Uh, according to chief economist uh, Bloomberg News, Anna Wong says there's a 69% chance of a shutdown happening. Um, if we have, It'll be by the Eastern Standard Time, 12.01 a.m. on Sunday. If they don't come to this decision, what would happen, Steve, is we'd have parks that would close. Here's the projections. Uh, safety from uh, food inspection, safety administration would stop. Uh, federal workers like air traffic control, uh, TSA, uh, and other federal workers to the tune of uh, around uh, $1.9 billion a day would be lost in revenue. They would go on furlough, which just means they still got to work, but right. they don't get paid. Right. And so what happened this last time, TSA workers and air traffic controllers, they, they called in sick, so there was a shortage, so it would cause all kinds of air travel problems. Yeah. Um, this, if you look at what's been, uh, what the programs that would be affected, the ones that I think would be the worst is one called WIC, W-I-C. It's a program for women, infants, and children. It's a special supplemental nutrition program. That would stop immediately. The uh, person for the security agriculture, Tom Vasilik, said that the program called SNAPS, Supplemental mm-hmm. Nutrition Assistance Program, that would last maybe a month, and then they would have to go through some major changes. But this is going to affect children from low-income families have, who have a part of the Head Start in pre, uh, pre, preschool programs. Yeah. It probably could affect student loans, college students. Definitely the Food and Drug Administration would have delay in non-essential food inspections, travelers receiving passports, uh, uh, FEMA. No money for uh, disasters would happen during this time. If we had a disaster, they wouldn't be able to uh, process the information. So there's a lot of federal contractors who would go on furlough. Uh, The ones that are contracted to the government, they actually don't get paid anything and don't get a recouping of their money. Uh, so they have to either stop working or work for free. Um, that's about uh, a significant amount of, of people. 1.3 million active duty military people uh, and 2 million civilian uh, federal workers would not receive pay during this. They were going furlough. It's a bad timing. Yeah. And as far as the market, uh, historically, it doesn't affect the market that much. It, uh, it, it could cause some problems, but we'll get into that if we have time still before the break. Lockheed yeah. Martin, uh, Pfizer, and Boeing are three main major cons- uh, recipients of federal agency contracts. Those stocks might be affected and about yeah. 10 others. And there would be a one person predicts there would be unemployment go to 4% if we have yeah. this and start a, couple- a recession. 
couple more questions about that when we come back right up against the breaks. So I'm going to put you on hold right quick, David. We're talking to David Fisher, just catching up a little bit after a couple of weeks. We'll do a full Money, Money Monday coming up this Monday. But some more about the government shutdown and then some other things about the Federal Reserve and financial trouble. I mean, this is serious stuff. That's why we're talking about it. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Good to be with you and uh, talking to our friend David Fisher from Landmark Capital. Landmarkgold.com is his website, as always. Landmarkgold.com. Hey, over there in the studio, can you bring David back live on the air or give me the ability to do that? Because I can't bring him live right now. So if you guys could do that for me, that would be helpful. Just make him available. And uh, then we'll get David back on the air. There he is. David, thanks, man, for holding. Thanks for calling in today. So we were talking about uh, the government shutdown. And and is that part of why the stock market has really been uh, plummeting the last few days? I mean, September, it was kind of stable for a little while. And then the last five days, man, it's really been on a downward slope, down 68 points today, uh, but down a lot in the last five days. So is that tied to this impending government shutdown? No, not really. Um, you know, and thank you. Uh, there's a chart that one of your listeners sent us, you and I, uh, TJ. Yeah, TJ. Uh, so there's been 21 shutdowns in government history, uh, lasting anywhere from three days to 35 days, and the average shutdown is two weeks. And the chart shows that one of the shorter times was, uh, there's a few of them that lasted three days. One, The most recent was under uh, Trump in 2018. A month later, or excuse me, 12 months later, the market was down a little over 7%. And then the bigger shutdown was uh, under President Trump, 35 days, and that was a year later in 2019. And the market had an opposite uh, effect. It was up 12 months later, almost 24%. Mm -hmm. So there's there's not a correlation uh, so much as a shutdown, but it's more of an environment. Let's take a look at um, what's happening here? We're in the month of September. We go back to 2019. The market was down four percent in that month. In September of 2020, it was down five percent. In 2021, it was down 20. Excuse me, nine percent. Wow. And in last year, five percent. So there's this September thing going on. Yeah. And this year, almost seven percent. Uh, the Dow's been down six out of seven consecutive sessions. Here's a here's a thing that's kind of misleading. We talked about this a little before. The S&P uh, 500 is up year-to-date 11%, but the equal index, in other words, it's a weighted index, right. the one that's up 11%, and it's based upon eight dependent giants in the, of yeah. the 500 companies. That's up 11%, but if you equally weight it, today went in the red. Yeah, wow. So there's this movement... Of what's happening in stocks right now, there's people are concerned. Um, and if you look at, like J.P. Morgan, Marco Klavanek, he's a strategist for J.P. Morgan. He said today our framework continues to point to challenging macro fundamentals and headwinds for risky assets. He's alluding to stocks, actually. Over the past six months, the headwinds for risk in our framework are stronger 
while the tailwinds are weaker. And he goes on to define, without getting too far in the woods on this, what the tailwinds and the headwinds are. So rates, when they're lower, that's a tailwind for stocks. It helps stocks go up. When rates are higher, that's the headwind, and now we have five and a quarter percent. The Federal Reserve, when they buy a lot of debt, that's a tailwind for stocks. When they sell the debt, that's a headwind for stock. And the Fed just recently sold a trillion dollars in the last six months of debt. That's a huge thing because they've gone from nine trillion down to eight. We have ge- uh, geopolitical factors deteriorating. Look at the downgrade of our creditworthiness of right. our government because we can't pay our bills. Look at the fighting over the ba- balance of budget. They're trying to you know pass this bill so we don't have a government shutdown. The world is so- seeing that we have financial problems, and so during these times there's a challenges in the stock market, and you have people that come out on top of that, like J.P. Morgan, or Jamie Dimon, the CEO, he says the Fed is can't get inflation under control at these levels, and they're going to be forced to raise rates as much to 7%. Wow. We're at five and a quarter now, and he says the next 2% upward will be much more severe than the previous 2% we had just had. And the environment, the market, and the economy is not prepared for that and can't handle it. So we're in a different environment. Yeah. It's not really tied to the government shutdown, but it is the environment of massive spending, massive debt that previously, previous government shutdowns were somewhat manageable. This is totally unmanageable. And then we have rates at very high point, you know, 40-year high yeah. interest rates when we didn't have that most of all the yeah. other government shutdowns. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch this unfold. And I'm going to get to gold and silver in a minute and how it's reacting to all this. But you had a note here, David, about uh, the Federal Reserve. Uh, can the Federal Reserve be in financial trouble? What's going on with that? Absolutely, and it is. And that's the thing that caused a little anxiety for me today when I was reading this. So understand this. The Federal Reserve does not get its funding from the government. It is not part of the government. It is an individual corporate uh, corporation that gets its funding from U.S. banks. They pay interest to the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve lends them money. That's how the Federal Reserve survives financially. Well, when a company is in trouble, what are the first thing they do? Cut back on hiring and start layoffs. So for the first time in 13 years, Steve, the Fed is now cutting workers. They're laying off 300 people on its payroll. It's a rare reduction in their Mm headcount since the Fed has grown steadily every year since 2010. This is coming because they've been booking so far this year $100 billion in losses, as much as $700 million each day they've been losing at the Federal Reserve. So the Fed might think it has all this control, but they're coming to the fruition of that there's a change. And when interest rates go up and they raise them, it causes the asset that you own called Treasury bills become, if you bought them years ago, you get upside down. That's what happened with these regional banks. The Fed is upside down. The Fed is having problems with getting enough money because banks are in trouble. This is having a trickle-down effect. And ironically, the Fed is selling the debt, and they're the last buyer of our debt. And you already (laughs) talked about this, so I don't need to go into all in in depth about that. 
But this is creating the whole picture of a major financial problem when the biggest buyer of our debt in the world is in financial trouble. Right. We have a problem, Houston. Yeah, we have a problem, Houston, and that's uh, why we need to continue to pay attention to this. And be careful and diversify and pray, as we talked about with your original testimony in the, in the last segment. Yes. Uh, so how's gold and silver reacting to all of this? Well, gold and silver is in a sideways movement. I was just on Charles Schwab being interviewed on television here two weeks ago or three weeks ago saying that I don't see any major breakouts, but this is the accumulation phase for buying gold and silver. In other words, you don't want to be buying it where it's $150, $200 higher in gold and $10 higher in silver because the fundamentals that are intact today are causing many people coming out of the woodwork to say buy gold, buy silver. Here's a gentleman, Gareth Soloway. He's a president and CFO of InTheMoneyStocks.com. So in other words, he's not a gold guy. He said recently, September 12th, Gold is going to go to $2,500 to $3,000 in the next 12 months. And he's basing it upon the things that you and I are talking about. Here's another lady, Christina Hopper, chief global market strategist for Invesco, a paper person. She is saying gold is at a long-term support level now. It's bullish. She's bullish on gold in the short term of a government shutdown and in the long term of the debt that the country is accumulating and where we're going economically. So she's saying buy some gold. I can keep going on. We're running out of time. Call my company. Learn about investing and diversifying into gold and silver. And again, this is never about uh, take 100% of your stuff out of pot A and put it in pot G for gold or pot S for silver. This is about diversification so that you're not overly exposed in any one particular area. Is that correct? Absolutely, because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And diversified portfolio historically has shown to benefit. When stocks went down a whole bunch in 2008 and nine. gold rallied and silver rallied in 2009, 10, 11, and 12. And that's why it's always interesting, and this comes up almost every week, David, when you bring in uh, people that are running large funds, people at, at uh, uh, national banks that are that are in China, whatever, whatever the case may be, that are purchasing significant and sometimes record-setting amounts of gold. It's not because they're idiots, and it's not because they, they don't know what they're doing or they're just acting out of fear. There's a reason, because they see the headwinds, as you were talking about a minute ago, and they're like, okay, if this is going to happen over here, Then over here on the opposite end of the spectrum, we need to have some weight. We need to have some investment so that we can withstand what we think is coming. And that's the whole point is diversification uh, and having a balanced portfolio. And and that's part of what you do, right? When people call or go to the website, they they get an education. Yeah, absolutely. So these people have a lot more that are, quote, have a lot more experience in the financial industry. And I've been doing it for 28 years. They see this train wreck, and that tells us a lot. And, yes, we help people. Just like if you're going to build a house, you need a plan. We help you out with what we call a financial blueprint, help you understand the different types of gold and silver, and you get to choose what's best for you and learn how to diversify also the importance of having that in the portfolio. Excellent. And how do uh, how do people start that process of getting educated? It's a simple way. Give us a call, 844-604-2575. Again, the number, 844-604-2575, or the le- website, landmarkgold.com. Landmarkgold.com. As always, David Fisher, God bless you, brother. Thanks for calling in today. We look forward to doing a full show on Monday. I look forward to it, too. Thank you for having me, brother. Hi, pal. You're welcome. God bless you. We'll talk later. That was David Fisher.
Landmark Capital, LandmarkGold.com. As always, tomorrow, fascinating conversation for Theology Thursday. We'll be into Genesis, talking about the different ways of viewing creation, which can be a little bit of a sticky subject. This is Steve Noble on The Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.